Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. This is like, um, this is like the last 20 years of our life, 22 years of our life wrapped up because, um, oh, I should let my wife say something. <laughs> yeah, we feel like we kind of belong to 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 all three churches, we, we moved um, back to New Zealand. Oh, I can say. <laughs> He's telling me to talk and he tells me not, not, not to tell his story. Yeah, we do. We've, been, we've kind of connected with all of these churches in different ways. So it's just wonderful to be here. There's so many faces that are familiar, some that are new as well. So I just snuck in at the last moment. I decided I had to come because... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I better finish because I don't want to steal his thunder. Cool. Yeah, so um, Christine's actually flying back at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning because she's doing something in Auckland at our church, but she wanted to be here um, this weekend, so that's cool. But um, yeah, for us, um, 22 years ago, we came back from the Philippines and went to City Church and we're involved in setting up what's now Vision College there, so we have a connection there and then we're linked a lot with, um, you know, after the earthquakes with Pastor Terry and stuff, working on stuff, and now with Garth. And then uh, 2000, we came here. So for nine years, it was cool. And I was, I was going to say, man, I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, this is so much better. Like, wh- whose idea was it to put that little funny low circle and s- semicircle thing over there? It's like, oh, that would be me. But um, <laughs> so much better. <laughs> And, um, but it's great to see our faces, there's this little Julie I remember, oh, I don't want to make you cry, but I, you know, there's just so much history, I remember when your husband suddenly passed away and we were around there kind of trying to do the chicken and stuff for the family after the funeral and there's just a lot, there's so much history, that, like we, that's so dear to our hearts with so many people here and then the last, you know, and when we were here that's when equippers arrived in Christchurch and they used to meet here and then the last... It's now seven years we've been at Equippers College in Auckland with Equippers. So, like, seriously, like, this is the last 22 years of our life here, and uh, our hearts are really here and love this city. It was, um, and Brent and Wendy, I remember, going, we, when we first came, we were doing these crazy things, tidying up people's places on Saturday mornings. Do you remember that? Like, it was crazy. And Steve Forrester, meeting for breakfast in a cafe. There's just so many wonderful uh, memories here, so... Um, yeah, it's, re- it's a real privilege to be here. Um, just one of the things for me, like when we first, have we got, is it going to work? When we first um, came to Christchurch, one of the things that was really distinctive about Christchurch and all around the country was Christchurch was the one place that there was this kind of, in a good sense, this dignity, there were mature, long-term leaders of significant churches, like um, was Sprayden Baptist then with Murray Robinson, Hornby Presbyterian with Murray Talbot, um, Paul Bennett's at what's now La Vida. And there was just, there was something, Auckland had had all these shooting stars that would crash and burn and stuff. But like Christchurch, there was something of just the church had this dignity and respect um, of just significant leaders and who, who honored each other, quite different kind of churches, different styles. But there was this dignity and respect and, um, uh, you know, I, and I guess meeting here tonight, my sense is this, that, um, I don't know quite how to say this, but, uh, you know, the, the last 
period of time, I guess there, there hasn't been maybe so, so much unity within Acts churches, but, but now it feels like, like, I was thinking, like this is the one place in the country that this would happen tonight where three different streams of Acts churches came together and this and the like this is actually the well of the spirit in Christchurch of a deep unity in the spirit that honors and respects and to have three churches with great leaders who are connected to their own networks but then able to meet together like there's a well of something of of God and the dignity of the spirit and and honor that will just open up something and i feel like actually heaven is here to kind of um, just grace you with something that you represent, something of the dignity and beauty of heaven, that we treat each other with honor and respect, that we, we're not trying to pull everyone in together, we're not pretending we're all the same, but we honor each other in our different expressions. And, and I just want to encourage you as I talk, just to let something of heaven rest on you. Oh, Anne, I remember a few years ago when I was here, you gave me this word, there's something for you in Africa. I was in Ghana last year. We had three Ghanaian students for two years, and now we planted a church in Ghana. You prophesied it about five years ago. So, cool. Hey, but, um, but I, I just want to um, just tell me when tap out, eh, when we're done, kind of. But um, I'm keen to um, talk about the, this so I was around it during the earthquakes time here, and I was like the one person who wasn't real busy because I was then uh, the dean of Lanelaw College here, so I had time to sit and think while everyone else was working super hard. But one of the images that came at that time was this image of um, churches working together that God wants to weave us together. And it's a beautiful metaphor, that kind of image of, um, of Maori weaving, because it's, like, it's, not the, it's not like the mashed potato unity where we all just kind of dissolve into one and, you know, hold hands and sing kumbaya. It's like each, each has its own strength, but they're kind of woven together in a way that's like, I've got your back here, and then you've got my back here. And like, but we're actually championing each other, but this metaphor, but then together, but we might, we might hold something beautiful for God in this place. And I just believe that you're kind of poised to see something beautiful because there's something of the dignity of heaven when leaders and churches get together and honor each other and respect each other. And uh, coming out of the earthquakes, I have to stand over here a bit to talk to that. Um, For me, there was this four great convictions, like the, the task is too big for any one of us. If we want to see our city reach and touch a cause based unity, yeah, we're not here to hold hands and sing kumbaya, we're here to see our city transformed. But the key thing was there was a a new model of unity that it's not all about coming together and forget our distinctives, which was the 1970s kind of thing, but it was about we're all here to champion each other in what we carry of God. And then the final conviction was I'd rather err on the side of stepping out than look back with regret and feel like we missed the moment. And it's particularly this third one that I want to talk about. Um, And and it it is this idea, um, came up with this, the Māori concept of raranga, of weaving together, that God wants to weave us. He doesn't want us to merge, but he wants to weave our lives together in a way that we're championing each other. And at an individual level with individual churches and then between churches. So there was... I'll skip through all of this. You don't know that. And, and the image of, of then, like, God would weave together this kete, this Māori basket that might hold um, the work of God in the city. 
and that maybe we could see that happen. And I, I, I just want to encourage you that I feel like we, you could, we could see that happen. You could see that happen. I'm going to fall off the stage. Um, uh, and, um, and so I want to I kind of back up the truck and kind of go, what's a way to think about being Christian that kind of understands this thing like God is weaving us together in things bigger than ourselves? And so, um, it's all right, I'll take you on a bit of a journey of... Um, so the idea that God is forming us at three different levels in what he's doing. And so um, when you do, when, you, when you're in leadership in a role, you kind of have these aha moments. You go to these seminars and someone says something and you frantically write it down like, yes, now I know what to do. And when, I, when we finished being the pastors here, I said, they changed from being aha moments to oh no moments. Like, oh no, that's what I should have been doing the last nine years. And, um, and I had one of those oh no moments about a year after we finished here, which was at a conference when Pastor Bruce Monk put this passage up, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. How many people know that at times, does it point, doesn't point, how many, the late, how many people know at times church is hard work? Like ministry is hard work, leadership is hard work. So if you're going to be working hard, you probably want to be doing, putting all that effort into the thing that really matters. And this is the thing that struck me here. Until Christ is formed in you, it was like, oh, that's what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> like it wasn't about rushing around meeting everyone's needs, and it wasn't around just growing a big organization. It was, I was supposed to be working hard to see Christ formed in people. And, 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 and this idea, oh, yeah, to see and realize this thought gets picked up a number of times. So Colossians, again, um, we proclaim admonishing, teaching everyone with wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature. And again, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerful. Like, like that's what I'm working at, to see people become mature. I love that verse. Did we set that up? Or like your Ephesians? No, no, you just, okay. That's good. Um, and, and again, here's a guy that he commends, Epaphras. He's always wrestling in prayer. Why? That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature. And it's like, come on, we want to see people who are mature. We want to see people who are not like little toddlers. We want to see people growing up in Christ. And, um, and, and the passage that, uh, that we looked at just then, the Ephesians 4 one, which is the kind of foundation for our movement. You know, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip people for works of service, it's up there. Until you go on to verse 13, that's not up there. Next verse, after that one. Until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Like, all of this is to see people become mature. And it's like, we want people to grow up. We want to see them become mature in Christ. And so it's like, oh, that. so God is forming me. And again, you mentioned this. It finishes, can I go backwards? At the bottom, to the measure of the fullness of Christ. In Greek, that's a real complex phrase. It's like this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, or to the measure of the full stature. We'll put it all together, to the standard dimensions quality of the full maturity, mature stature of Christ. It's like, what would it mean to be mature? It would be like, like Jesus. Oh, how was, how was Jesus' intimacy with the Father? Well, until we've got that, we've got a bit more work to do. How was Jesus with signs and wonders and raising the dead and healing the sick? We've seen a lot of that. No, well, there's probably a bit more work to do. How's the countercultural values of the kingdom? Well, until we've seen that, 
we haven't reached the measure of maturity yet. Like the standard of maturity is the full expression of the mature Jesus. Anyone feel like they've arrived at that yet? We can pray for that delusion to come off your mind. Because it's like, if you haven't, it's like, oh, we got some more work to do. And it's like, that's what we're strenuously working at. That's what we're trying to see formed in people that they actually start to become. Like, that is an outrageous claim, isn't it? Like the full expression of the mature Jesus. And it's like, till Christchurch sees that in this church, we got some more work to do. And, um, you know, and Paul's not naive about this. I don't know if you've ever read 1 Corinthians. This was a church he wrote a letter to. So they had four different factions. There was a man in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. There were people suing each other in court. There were men visiting prostitutes. On the other hand, people denying married sexual relationships. There were people attending occultic, pagan, debaucherous festivals. There were people getting drunk at communion. There were super spiritual people dominating services. There were people denying a basic doctrine of resurrection. And overall, Paul's authority was attacked. Like, he, like, and he planted this church. Maybe your ministry's not so bad after all compared to Paul. Like, Oh, let's go back to the early church. Like, no. no. <laughs> but it's like, um, but Paul looks at people like that and he says, I got one job to work to see that end up looking like Jesus. And it's like, oh my goodness, we still got some work to go. Maybe it's not as bad. But, but, here, but here's, the, here's the thing of, okay, so Christ wants each of us to grow to maturity we look like Jesus. Okay, but here's the next thing though, because instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Oh, so it's not just about me as an individual, but as a body, as a church, that, that we would become mature. That activate Christ church would be a mature expression of Jesus. That equippers Christ church would be a mature expression of Jesus. That city church Christ church would be a mature expression of Jesus. So, so you got it? So as an individual, he wants us to become mature. But according to this, we're only ever going to become mature as we find our place in a body that's becoming mature. No, you don't sound very convinced about that. Because <laughs> it says... From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up. Oh, I can't become mature apart from a body that's becoming mature. Because part of my maturity is going to be drawing off other people's gifts, and part of my maturity is going to be giving my gifts into other people. So I am being formed, but I'm being formed in the context of a community that's being formed. That makes sense. So Christ is looking at Christ. You, it's going. I want to see mature individuals who look like Jesus, but I want to see mature churches that look like Jesus, and that's what we're working to do. And this idea of this corporate thing comes up over and over again. So Ephesians, different metaphor of a building. The whole building is joined together and grows and rises to become a holy temple. In Colossians, the image of a body again. The whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows. And it's like we need to break this Western individualism that it's all about me and Jesus. That Jesus is forming mature individuals, but he's forming mature bodies of disciples, mature churches. And like we're called to do that. Here's a, here's a commentator 
writes books about this. Paul's focus is on the growth of the body as a whole, not on the need for individuals to become mature in Christ, however necessary this may be. Do you get that? Paul is like, I want to see churches in Christchurch that are mature, that express corporately something of Christ. Although the distinct contribution of each member to the life and development of the whole is highlighted, through the clause, as each part does his work, the stress still falls on the corporate growth on the body. Christ is interested in activate Christchurch becoming mature, and equipers Christchurch becoming mature, and city church Christchurch becoming mature. And I become mature as I fit in a church that's becoming mature. Um, this significantly Christian growth or progress does not occur in isolations for Paul's language here envisages God's people collectively i.e. we all as en route to this vital destination here's a radical I have to explain this one but this listen then I'll explain it the glorified Christ provides the standard at which his people are to aim the corporate Christ cannot be content to fall short of the perfection of the personal Christ what he means is this you, each of this church, is, you are a corporate expression of Christ. We can't settle for less than the personal Christ till we embody, when people look at Activate Christ Church, oh, that's like Jesus. He sh- the intimacy with God are there, that the, so- the miracles and signs and wonders that are there, the countercultural values of the kingdom, oh, that's like Jesus. Equippers Christ Church, that's like Jesus. City Church Christ, that's like Jesus. Like, man, that's a pretty big call, eh? Like, anyone feel like we still got some work to do? I got some work to do. But here's the thing I want to talk about. Oh, so you got that? So individual, I need to grow up and become mature like Jesus. Oh, that's only going to ever happen as it happens within a community that's growing up and becoming like Jesus. Okay, but here's the... Here's what I think is the exciting thing. So there's a New Testament scholar guy called Richard Balcom who's written this book. Don't worry, you don't want to read it. It's a nerdy academic book. But in the middle of nerdy academic, he, he makes a point about how the early church functioned. Some of you might have seen this before. He says this, of great importance is the extensive evidence that the early Christian movement was not dot, 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 a scattering of relatively isolated, introverted communities, but a network of communities in constant, close communication with each other. I want to change your mind of how you think how the early church worked. So this says, before there was transport, before there was email, before there were cheap flights, that somehow they managed to pull off a sense of being this incredibly constant, close communication. Like, seriously, there wasn't even a postie. If you wanted to send someone a letter, you had to persuade your mate to pick the letter and spend three months walking to Rome and hand it to someone and then another three months walking back again. And yet they managed to pull off a sense like we're doing this together. And Mike, what I want to provoke you with, like if we have just people down the road, churches down the road, we have Zoom calls and videos and we have flights and we have cars, we've got no excuse to not do this in constant close communication with each other at the level between churches. And that's the thing that I want to inspire. If we can get this, I feel like there's this dignity of heaven that will rest on us, that we're representing the heart of God. So, so um, it says up there, extensive evidence. Where's the extensive evidence? It's in all those boring little bits of the Bible that you never read. Okay, so let me show you. So Romans chapter 16, 
is a whole letter of greetings. Here's the deal. Paul is writing to a church that he's never visited, and he greets 28 people, 26 of them by name. It's like months. How does he know them? How does he? It's like, do you know, could you greet 26 people in one of the other churches in this room by name? He has, they live a continent away, and he knows 28 people in that church, 26 by name, before flights, before Zoom calls, before letters, emails. It's like, this is the picture. Like, they did this as a, as a global network. Um, he, um, here's some of the examples. So, again, like, greet Priscilla and Aquila. So, Paul... Second bullet point down. They, he had met this couple in Corinth, later had taken them to Ephesus, now they're working in Rome. But like Christine and I, oh, some of you we know from 20 years ago at City Church, some of you we know from 15 years ago at this church, some of you we know from uh, the last six or seven in Equippers. It's like, we've been around. It's, kind of, it's like, that's how it works. There's people in all kinds of contexts. And it's like, oh, and then, um, you know, greet my dear friend Dependitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia, a person converted in Turkey, now living in Rome, still connected. It's like, man, we move, we're doing this as a global network. Even here, we're doing this as a New Zealand network of people. And there'll be connections, and we'll stay connected, and we'll, we'll shift around, but we stay connected. You know, he, he, t- he talks about all these people who work very hard. Interestingly, they're all women. Preach it. Yeah, moving right along. Um, here's, an, here's another passage, 1 Corinthians 16. If Timothy comes, see he has nothing to fear while he's with you. He's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. So Paul, that second bullet, Paul is aware of co-workers moving around between cities, moving around between congregations. Verse 17, I was glad when these three people arrived because they've been, oh, and, and so there's Paul sending people to, churches are sending people to Paul. Like They're doing, they're doing this thing together. They're not doing it, not only, as not, not only are they not doing it as isolated Christians, they're not doing it as isolated churches. There's this constant to and fro back between churches. And um, um, I want to show you a few more of this. This is down the bottom. This is the first of five references to Paul intentionally and strategically sending one person from one church to another. So Ephesians 6, Tychicus, the dear brother, faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. So Paul's like, oh, you guys need a bit of an update on what I'm doing. I know, I'll send this guy and he can update you because I would hate for us to get isolated. I will hate for us to lose touch with each other. We're going to intentionally work at doing this and staying connected. Now, here's another one. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. And then I've thought it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus because he's been sick. So they'd send someone to Paul. He's sending him back. He's sending someone here. I just want to get, get inside this. Like, can you get the feel? Like, there were people going back and forth all over the place. Um, Tychicus will tell you the news about me. He's a dear brother. I'm sending him to you for this express purpose. Another one. Uh, Colossians 4, Epaphras. He's always wrestling in prayer. I vouch for him. He, oh, so they had sent Epaphras to him. Here's another one. We sent Timothy, who is our brother, to you. Um, so do you, this is, I'm just like, this is a window into the early church. People constantly moving around. Because we're not... We're not just isolated individuals. We're not even isolated churches. We're a movement of churches. Um, here's a, 
I love this. This is like a window into Paul's head. Okay, so this is like Paul as a chess master. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, you do your best to come to me because I've decided to winter there. In the meantime, do everything you can to help Zenos, Laura, and Apollos. You get the feel? He's like moving pieces around the chessboard. Oh, I'm going to send, I haven't decided yet, but I'm going to send one of these two guys to you. Uh, and then when they, and then you come here and in the meantime, look after these. He's like, he's thinking, he's not just about me and Jesus. He's not only about individual church. He's like, how do I grow a network of churches? Hey, oh, man, hey, um, you know, City Church, man, it'd be great to have some kind of input there. Oh, no, let's bring this guy from here to come and, and gas. Oh, we should fly this guy down to come and speak because he's going to add something, and we could send these people here, Fiji, and, and we're going to do this and that. And it's like, welcome to church. Is that, I think it's exciting, but anyway. Um, uh, you know, Balcom goes on to say, all the evidence we have for the early Christian leaders shows them to have been typically people who traveled widely, who worked in more than one community at different times. Here's the deal. Summarizing the communities and the leaders, he says this. Both had a, this, a strong, lively, and informed sense of participation in a worldwide movement. Before we go there, what about, hey, these three churches here have a strong, lively, and informed sense of participation in a citywide movement. We're all here to see Christchurch change. We're all here to see the transformation of the city. And we're, and we're strongly committed and we're informed. We know what's happening at Activate. We know what's happening at City. We know what's happening at Equippers. We're, like, this is what we're part of. Yeah, I'm becoming like Jesus. Yeah, our church is becoming mature. But we're part of a network that's becoming mature. Is this all right? Some people look like they're fading. Okay, better move on. Uh, again, in addition to Christian participation in the ordinary mobility of society, that means business people traveling around, much communication was deliberately fostered. It's like, you know, we haven't heard from them for a while. We need to get some people there. We need to get some of them up here because we refuse to do this isolated. We refuse to not be connected. For some of us who are just getting our heads around committing to a church, this is like next level. No, I'm part of a movement of churches, part of a network of churches. Um, there's another chapter in this book where a guy compares the early church to the internet, calls it the holy internet. So it's a metaphor, okay? It's an image. But he does something. He considers the paths of communication, so the, the superhighway of information at that time was the Roman roads and shipping lanes. He talks about the archives, he, the network servers of the holy net internet were the churches, and he notes the importance of hubs. See, Paul thought like this, let's get a hub in Jerusalem, let's get a hub in Turkey, let's get a hub in Italy, let's get a hub in Spain, then they can, they can serve that light. We've got a strategy to reach Europe. It's like, oh, we need some strong group of churches in Christchurch, and we need some in Dunedin, some in Wellington, Auckland, then we need to multiply out of there. Like, oh, we could, we could reach this nation. And then we need a hub, and, and we need a new massive church in Fiji, which is why these guys are going. And we've got hubs in the Philippines, and we've got hubs in England and Germany and Tonga and U.S. It's like, oh, we, this is how this would work. We could do this because it's not just about me and Jesus. It's about a network of stuff. You know, he talks about, I love this, he talks about the, the protocol software access to the internet, the protocol software of hospitality. In the early church, there was all this stuff about how you welcome people who came from other churches, how you put them up for a few days. After that, they were a bit dodgy, like they had to get a job. But for the first few days, you should put them up. 
Look after them, because we're doing this as a network. And, and then he talks about, if you think your internet's a bit slow, listen to the speed of this internet. Travel was generally by walking or ship. Jerusalem to Antioch took 8 to 10 days, on to Ephesus another 14 to 30 days by sea, or 35 days over land. Ephesus to Corinth, 6 to 10 days. Corinth to Rome, 10 to 25 days. From Corinth directly back to Jerusalem by sea, somewhere between 16 to 28 days if you didn't get shipwrecked. Like, seriously. And they made a commitment, we're going to do this connected. And they managed to generate a sense of a lively, informed um, worldwide movement. Like, we've got no excuse not to do this, to not do this. We've got no excuse to be isolated. In fact, I don't know how we can read the Bible and not see this. Well, I do know, because we've been brought up in Western individualism that says it's all about me, rather than we're part of something bigger. Um, The kind of information was news about churches, encouragement, participation in needs, sharing of resources, offerings of assistance, practices or positions taken or responses to issues, and I've added intercessory prayer. There was constant flow of information. Like, this is normal church. Okay, this is normal New Testament church. This is probably a bit heavy for a Saturday night, sorry. Um, but here, so you've got this. So you as an individual becoming mature. That's only ever going to happen in a church where you're interconnected that's becoming mature. But that church is only going to become mature when it's interconnected in a network that's becoming mature. I don't know if you, we actually believe that as a movement of churches. We believe in doing church connected. And, and so Paul, you know, he's, he, this is a terrible, complex few verses. We dare not classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Let's jump down to verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond the proper limits, but will combine our boasting to the sphere of service God has assigned to us. We believe that there's people who who have a God grace on their life to dream of reaching cities or nations or continents. And so it's not a, and, and I love the Apostle Paul. Sometimes he tries to be all flowery and then he remembers something and he breaks off mid-sentence and he just gets grumpy. And this is one of the, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, literally breaks off mid-sentence. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's like, this is not about empire building. This is not about ego. There's a grace on my life that I'm trying to steward, and God has called me to reach Europe, and I'm just trying to equip people to do that. And it's not over you. It's not against you. It's for you. It comes under you to empower you to be something that you could never have been by yourself. And... and one of the things in our movement of church is we believe not in governance over, but that people that have a grace gift that come under us to release us to unlock things to go to another level. And that's why we choose to partner together. We choose to get the input of people beyond ourselves. Um, and so this is, this is the back. If we're going to get God to weave us together, we need to understand it's about individuals become the full measure of all their grace to be. But that only happens when churches become the full stature. But that only happens when we acknowledge that there are wider networks and there are people graced to function over a sphere of a network or a movement of churches. We call them apostles. Anglicans call them bishops. 
But we believe these people that have got a grace to unlock things. And it's like we want to access that grace. We, is that all right? How are we going? Um, why is this so hard? Well, because there's someone that you probably never heard of who said this. I think, therefore, I am. The main thing in reality is what's going on in my head. Western individualism. It's like we need to undo. It's not biblical. So all of our heroes, we talk about the myth. All of our heroes are this dysfunctional, isolated bloke who has no relational capacity and no relational connection. And the heroes of our movies are people like these, who are all, like I said, dysfunctional loners. Like, that's deeply unchristian. Even John Maxwell, who's a baby boon of time, he talks about this. The 17 indisputable laws of teamwork says this. The law of significance. People try to achieve great things by themselves, mainly because of the size of their ego, their level of insecurity, or simple naivety and temperament. One is too small a number to achieve greatness. If we're going to smash the city open for Jesus, we've got to do it together. Together as a church, but together as networks of churches that honor each other, that respect each other, that seek to back each other, to add. I know we're not here to try and pull you into anything. We're here to get to come under you and serve you and put our weight behind you and champion you to be everything that you are called to be. Because if you're going to weave something together, each strand has to be really strong. And I sense the Holy Spirit wants to invite you to another level of commitment, like this is what we're about. And there's a moment for the Acts Churches of Christ Church to actually stand up and be a model in this nation of what we say we're, we're an umbrella of networks, of churches who together are championing each other, could be knitted together to f- hold something of God's glory in the city. Um, I, I won't go into uh, I, like, I think these are quite deeply biblical. So, yeah, I said one is too small a number to achieve greatness. Individuals play the game, but teams win championships. I think, don't react to the bottom one. I'll explain. You're good, but you're not that good. I think that's a very Christian view. You have certain gifts on your life, but you don't have all the gifts. So you're never going to realize the dream unless you partner with other people. Um, I'll let, skip over there. He says this, as the challenge escalates, the need for teamwork elevates. See, why is this the case? Let me give you a surprise. We actually believe that God's a trinity. Trinity is the idea that people work together, the three persons of God, that, that life is about interconnection. Listen, I think God's got a smile on his face. It's a divine setup. You will never achieve your dream by yourself. Because that's not how he works. You have to connect with other people. Um, And we talk about this thing together, together. I'll skip over this. I'll skip over this. I was, uh, this sounds a bit pretentious, but I I was going to be speaking to the national leadership team of the Danish Apostolic Church, and I felt God say, talk about the hand of God. And it's this metaphor for this fivefold ministry that I've I've never really liked. So it's the idea, you know, there's the apostle, he's the one that can touch them all. There's the prophet who points the way. There's the evangelist who doesn't give people the finger, but who reaches out further than anyone else. There's the pastor with the ring, which probably why I don't like it, the teacher just clears the wax out of it. So I always thought it was a bit silly. 
but I, but I felt God say, I want you to talk about this to this group. And, I, and let, me like, let me land, this is a serious thing. What I, saw, what I saw was this. At that time, I was traveling a lot around New Zealand, different churches, ministries, and my perception was there were a lot of stunted ministries and lots of stunted churches. And this is what I saw. A lot of us and me were like this one gift, like there's a dream out there, and one gift that was trying to take hold of the dream and couldn't take hold of it. And yet, because God's a divine setup that I can only take hold of the dream together with a whole lot of other people. And I, I, I want to share something that, um, like when I was at this church, I just had these dreams and I couldn't understand why I didn't see them happen. The last, so I felt God say to say this, but the, you know, the last seven years I've seen them happen because I've found my place in a team of people who are doing it. And this, the last year, so I just want to share this not as a thing of like, this is what happens when you come together. So last year I had six international trips, four in Europe. I spoke at um, f- uh, four different ch- denomination conferences. I spoke at this denomination conference in Switzerland. I don't even know how they know me. I was convinced they had the wrong guy. But, but it's like I got and a conference in England, another one in Switzerland, one in Germany, one in Tonga, one in the USA. And do you know when, when God called me to be a pastor, I saw a vision of walking up the front in front of a thousand people. And I was like, I know that's your dream, God. Why is it not happening? And when I came to Equippers in Auckland, it's like, oh, now I'm part of a team that can lay hold of the dream. So whatever, last two weeks, 10 days ago, I was speaking in front of 3,000 people at Shout Conference. But I couldn't make that happen by myself. I wonder if these people here who are confused and disappointed because you've carried a dream and you don't know why it hasn't happened because we think if God gave it to you, it's my dream and I'm going to make it happen. No, it's a dream that comes together with a whole group. of. He hasn't actually given you all of the gifts to lay hold of the dream that you carry in your heart. I remember when Christine and I were first married, uh, we're living in New Plymouth, I remember sitting down with a world map in our lounge and going, I just have this passion that well, I thought we were going to launch this global network, and we just had the, I just had this, well, you'd need 10 significant churches in 10 cities, so I sat down with a map and put where this, never happened, we went to the Philippines, came back seven years later, confused, then Pastor Bruce Monk's here, I had a dream, 10 significant churches in 10 significant countries around the world, the point is, what I realized, my destiny is tied with his and other people, can you just, that together, we carry the dream. Together we take hold of the dream. So every Sunday, and uh, not every Sunday, but if I'm down in Auckland, I'll be preaching in front of a thousand people. That was the dream that God gave me as a young person. I couldn't ha- it didn't happen by myself, but it happens together. And I feel like, man, there's some people here, maybe you're angry, disappointed, frustrated because the dream hasn't happened because it's a divine setup that the dream happens with a company of people and together you lay hold of the dream. We'll say it's not too late to take hold of the dream. Maybe I can get the keyboard or something. I'll just, you know, and say, you know, parts of, if you think about the image of parts of the body, they're all incredibly intricate, incredibly gifted. The point is they're just going to wither and die by themselves. It's only as we partner together that we become a functioning body. Um, and, and to understand this is the importance of the Holy Spirit. You know, this famous passage, 
Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil poured down on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. It's like the Jew of Hermon. It's like where the Lord disposes. All the Spirit just loves pouring, pour down on places where people are going, I'm committed to doing this together. And, and I feel like, man, there's just a, a unity. And even tonight, this, the sense of unity that God would grace you with something of the dignity of heaven when we say we're going to do this together. You know, there's a um, famous benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And the idea, each of these persons of the Trinity, there's a distinct feature. So the middle one, in the Bible, God is associated with love. God so loved the world. The Lord Jesus with grace. So here's the surprise. What's the distinguishing feature of the Holy Spirit? Not power, not gifts, fellowship, connection. Nothing is closer to the heart of the Holy Spirit than connecting us. That's where he loves to be. He connects the Father and the Son. He connects God with us. He connects us with each other. He can, he's all about connection. You can't know the power of the Holy Spirit and not pursue connection because that's what he loves doing. I'll skip over this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed. How do you do that? Well, bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, what's the opposite being kind and compassionate? Anything that separates us, grieves them. Anything that pulls us together, he loves. Let me finish one more. Team and Jesus. The night that he's died, some of you might have preached this a long time ago. People know Good Friday, sacrifice, Easter Sunday, resurrection. Do you know what Thursday's called? Maundy Thursday day he's commemorated the last supper day that he's betrayed it's called maundy thursday it comes from latin mandatum novum it's from the day he gave us a new commandment just love each other like one thing guys i'm about to die just love each other that's all i'm asking of the church in christ church love each other first love each other just love like like just love each other first and and, and then and by this, people will know you're my disciples. There are a group of people in Christchurch who are committed to doing life together in churches. But then there are a group of churches that are committed to doing life together and championing each other. And you'll never hear them attacking another church. You'll never hear them pulling down a leader. You'll never hear a competition. It's like, man, I'm for you, Josh. Man, I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm for you, Garth. I'm for you, Tika. I'm just here to add weight. I'm here to serve you. Anything we can do, man, we just, because, and people will go, man, I haven't seen people treat other people like that before. And when he prays a prayer, just to finish, you know, it's like, God, may they be one. May they be in us. Why? So the world may believe you've sent me. Verse 23, I and them and you and me. Why? So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. How are we going to reach Christchurch? <laughs> when the world sees a whole lot of people like, man, I got your back, City Church. I got your back, Activate Christchurch. I got your back, Equippers. You going to need, man, I'm there. Is there some way I can serve you? I'll be praying for you. 
I'm there for you. What's the strategy of Jesus? By this all men will know that you're my disciples. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them. So what, would, what do you think the devil's strategy would be? Isolation, independence, getting offended, division, apathy and indifference. No, this is the strategy of Jesus. This is where the Holy Spirit comes. This is how the early church functions. This is how we do this. That God is wanting to weep. I, let me just share something. I don't. I have a really good relate. I have a good. I have a really good relationship with Grace Vineyard, and particular and um, the churches, and particularly Dave McGregor. One of the things I can't remember how many years ago God woke me up in the middle of the night and said, "You need to pray for Dave McGregor." I messaged him. And he was going through a bit of a hard time, and so for about eight weeks, only ever time in my life it's happened, 20, like 24-7, every waking moment, spiritual warfare for Dave McGregor and Vineyard Church. And a couple of years ago, I spoke at their conference, and, he, and it's a ministry time, and he came up to me and he said, oh, the Holy Spirit's just come to tell me, come and stand by you and look out here and go, oh, this wouldn't have happened if you hadn't prayed for me. It's like... We got your back. I am like I am for you. No one is going to touch you, Dave and Lizzie McGregor. No one is going to touch you. I am for you. I am for you, Garth. I am for you, Tico. I will pray for you. I will help you in any way we can. And it's like this is what we're doing. Can I invite you to stand? Maybe I can get the rest of the fuses up. I don't, we often say, I don't know how you connect with God, if it's raise your hands or close your eyes. There has always been something of the dignity of heaven on the church in Christchurch. And it's been attacked in Acts churches the last season. But you guys have, a, a, have awoken it again. And I feel like, just I don't know how you connect with God. There, there's something of heaven, of something beautiful and of dignity that would settle on you. When you go, we're championing your cause in the city, Jesus. That means I want the Anglicans to be flourishing. I want the Baptists to be flourishing. My son's about to become a Wesleyan minister at the well in two weeks. I want the Wesleyans to flourish. I want the, I want the um, Majestic to flourish. I want Vineyard to because fl- we want to see the city reach. I want, um, I want New Life to flourish. Come on, could you have that degree of nobility of faith? I just want to see your church flourish. And so... Oh, I, I shifted off the devil's strategy. For some of us, Christine and I were in London a couple of years ago. Some of you have heard of Michael Maiden. Uh, he's an American prophet, and he didn't know us. He prophesied over us, and he said this. Not many people would have laid down their own thing to become part of something bigger. And I was literally like, why wouldn't you? And I just feel like maybe there's some people just in your to lay down independence, to lay down offense, to lay down isolation. 
hey, Josh, we're going to do this together as Activate Christchurch, and we're going to be part of Acts in Christchurch. Hey, Tico, we're, we're going to do this with you. We got your back, man. Garth, we're here. We're going to make this happen. And may, so, may, I don't know, I don't really have a clear sense of call, but if you feel like what I'm saying is kind of touching your heart, it's like, that's what I want to give my life for. I want to invite you to come up the front and kind of lay down any independence, isolation, I'm doing it my own thing, and to go, no, together we're going to lay hold of the dream. Together it's going to happen. And testimony is this, the last seven years of my life have been the most fulfilling, satisfying years of 37 years of ministry. Why? Because I'm doing it as part of a team, and together we're taking hold of a dream. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and move upon this place. If you feel like you're needing to just respond to this message, can I invite you to get out of your seat and come up the front now and some of the leaders are going to pray for you. You kind of go, yeah, I'm laying down this thing. I want to be part of something bigger than myself. Come on, let's, we got a song? Let's worship. Just if some other people, why don't you come up and respond and some of the pastors can come and pray for people. Come on, let's, let's commit to seeing God move in our city. Thanks, man. Let's worship him.